Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Anderson, thank you, my brother. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. We have major news about the vaccine and a way forward on the pandemic. But we need to look at why all efforts may be sabotaged from the inside. This is the futility we face. 100 U.S. senators taking their oaths of impartiality again today. And then, just 45 minutes after, 45 of 50 Republicans voted to drop the case against Trump, just minutes after taking their oath. Why? They say the trial would be unconstitutional. They say this at the urging of Senator Rand Paul, who argued the Senate can't hold a trial of a private citizen now. Take a look at this. This really captures the sham. Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley raising their right hands and signing the oath book to swear they'll be impartial when they themselves fed the Trump mob the same lies he did and worse. Then they voted to overturn the election for him. And after the Capitol attack, now the people who are all about the Constitution are voting against following it. And they know. They know the consensus of scholars is that this is constitutional. They know. They know there are examples of officials being tried after leaving office. And most importantly, they know, as originalists, if the founders wanted to tailor the rule, they would have and did not. So much for being about the Constitution. More proof that the chance that Democrats can break Trump's hold on 17 senators from this fallen party is small. And if you want to know why, don't look at the pawns. Look at the head, the leader, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. I told you when he said that Trump provoked the insurrection and that rioters were fed lies, it wouldn't hold. And today we saw him be among the 45 saying the trial should be dismissed. There he is, him signing the oath book right before. McConnell kicked this trial to after the inauguration. And why? Do you remember? So it could get due consideration. So it could get good due time and we wouldn't rush it. Now he says it's too late and it was never legitimate. Remember what Mitch McConnell told us the last time. I'm not an impartial juror. This is a political process. This time he said he is impartial. He's got an open mind. And now he says there can't be a trial after he says that Trump provoked it and said he wanted to give time to the trial. It is all BS. And the Democrats want a power sharing deal with this guy. When will you learn not to pet the snake? The trial will get underway two weeks from today. Now, the case still matters because those senators who choose to just deny their oath must be remembered for doing so in the faith 
face of overwhelming evidence. We now know prosecutors are considering using some new damning evidence to surface connecting Trump's words to the MAGA mob in real time. I want you to watch video put together by Just Security that has these parlor videos. And CNN has learned the House impeachment managers are looking at it. Here's a sample. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Can't have happened. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Our exciting adventures and boldest endeavors have not yet begun. My fellow Americans, for our movement, for our... And Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. You got to remember how ugly it was when everybody's saying they want unity and they want to be friends. They don't want to be victimized by the Democrats. Remember all that. Because 45 out of 100 jurors and every one of them is just a Trumplican. And that poison is spreading in their ranks. You have state Republican parties pushing more lies to further put our national security in jeopardy. Oregon's GOP is trying to brainwash Americans that the insurrection was staged, calling it a, quote, false flag operation designed to discredit him. To advance the Democrat goal of seizing total power in a, quote, frightening parallel to the February 1933 burning of the German Reichstag. The burning of the Reichstag that led to Hitler's rise? Are you serious? A state Republican Party. And did you hear federal officials stand up and decry it? Are they on my show tonight saying these people are not us? They're not Americans. They're not Republicans. Not one. Because that is where the GOP is. It's making the ugly okay. And it is so dangerous. And they know it. More proof. CNN's K-File just reviewed hundreds of posts and comments from Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene's Facebook page. She is with QAnon. I mean, that should tell you everything right there, right? But she indicated support for executing prominent Democrats in 2018 and 2019 before running for Congress. In one post, Taylor Greene liked a comment that called for a bullet to the head to remove House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. 
In others, she liked comments about executing FBI agents that she viewed as the deep state. This is ugly and it's obvious. And I can't believe the grand old party has made it acceptable. They had a chance to make a break from this malicious mentality, and it would have been with this trial. But after blowing it today, how can it not get worse? Let's bring in the great minds, David Gregory and Stuart Stevens. Good to see you both. What was the play for these guys today, David, in terms of uh, making this vote and making this go away? Well, I think it was to make a process argument. You know, not even the, those who are sympathetic to Trump or afraid of Trump want to excuse what he's done. They don't want to see a full airing of the evidence that supports what we all saw with our own eyes in his role. But they're more comfortable making a process argument on the one hand, arguing that it's not constitutional. And then I think McConnell, this is just a, 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 a pragmatic play here. You know, he put himself out there, hitting the president very, very hard, President Trump very hard, but nothing came of that. You know, we were talking about that the day he did it and whether that would cause some other dominoes to fall. They didn't. That's the reality. That's the reality he's living by. Uh, so he doesn't want to take it any farther. And, uh, and there's enough Republicans. Look, the votes aren't there. That's the bottom line. So uh, that's the tension right now is doing something that's going to end up being symbolic as uh, to, to mark the record for history of what happened uh, versus not already knowing you're not going to get the outcome you seek. How do you feel about your party, Stuart? Look, it's really not my part anymore, uh, Chris. I, I don't recognize this. I was drawn to a party that said it believed in personal responsibility, a party that said it believed in rule of law. Um, this is just an extraordinary moment in our country's history. I think when you're in the middle of these things, it's even hard to realize uh, how big they are. But we haven't had anything like this since 1860 in this country. And now we have a large number of people in this country who believe that they have an illegal president. And it's all due to the Republicans. Um, it's, it's an, as you rightly pointed out, it's a tremendous violation of their basic oath of office. David, and now you have a power sharing agreement. What does this bode for the path forward? First, I want to say hi to my buddy, Stuart Stevens. It's great to be on with him. Please, um, make it a party. <laughs> good to see you, Stuart. Um, you know, I, I think it's a difficult road. I think that any president understands, you know, uh, the president that Stuart worked uh, to get elected, President George W. Bush, understand that you have political capital. You have only so much for only so long. And President Biden gets that. I mean, he's a guy right now who wants to put policy ahead of personality. Uh, especially as the antidote to Trump. So he wants to move fast and he wants to move boldly. He's doing it through executive power. He's going to do it through uh, legislation. Uh, but I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, I think that that's what McConnell is signaling here. He'll go around the back of Schumer to secure that uh, the filibuster, filibuster won't be killed yet. Um, and, you know, Republicans are going to make it difficult. I don't know what that says about Trump's political power moving forward. But there's no question that Republicans are lining up fast to go against, not so much Biden, but to go against the left, to go against Democrats, which is where they've always been comfortable leading the fight. The problem that with, with Trump is that he went way too far and became such an embarrassment. But Stuart, it's a, I take David's point, but this is you guys going after your own. 
Um, you have at the top, you have, you know, Taylor Green, what I laid out for people. She's a QAnon person, you know, being OK with executing people. Um, then you have all these people in the state level. Hawaii, you got QAnon tweets on Hawaii GOP's official account. You got Texas, the GOP condemned for keeping QAnon slogans up past the riot. You got Arizona GOP censuring Flake, Ducey and Cindy McCain. Wyoming, Carbon County going after Cheney. I mean, is this going to be the way the party goes instead of shedding Trump and letting new green shoots come up or leadership in the party? You're going to just double down and maybe have them come back? Yeah, the short answer is yes. That's exactly where the party's going to go. That's where the party wants to go. This isn't being forced on the party. This is what the Republican Party in this moment wants to be. And I think we just have to quit uh, trying to deny it. I mean, those of us who worked in the Republican Party, we have to, who don't believe in this vision of the party, we, we can't pretend. We have to just be honest with ourselves. I mean, this is why I wrote a book called It Was All a Lie. And as it turns out, that was a pretty bleak portrait of the Republican Party, but I was still wildly optimistic. Mm. Um, I never thought this would happen. So we have to live in reality here. And to a large degree, the Republican Party has taken a stance that it's anti-democratic, small d democratic. It's an authoritarian party. Look back to the uh, platform. What was the Republican Party platform in in 2020? Whatever Donald Trump wanted. Right. So- Donald Trump invades the Capitol. Fine. That's okay. I'll tell you what. I know that it looks like this power sharing deal was the best way to go forward. And the Democrats really have the leverage and everybody knows it. I don't think it's going to work out that way. And I think that they are underestimating Mitch McConnell's knowledge of the system, playing the long game and a really, really vicious intent within his ranks right now. David Gregory, Stuart Stevens. I will be with you all along the ride. New announcements from President Biden. And this is why it matters. Okay, we have a new ruler, new administration and new ways to beat back this pandemic. We have positive vaccine news. Yes, concerns remain, but they're making moves. They're making plans. We have a member of Biden's covid response team, a familiar face on this program with an update you need to hear next. Every single state is begging for more of the vaccine. Yes, there's work to be done on getting people to understand it's their best chance of avoiding sickness and worse. But there are plenty of people who want it. The number of shots distributed and administered, they're going up. It's good. About 53 percent of those available have been administered. That's better, but not good enough. The president did just two big moves. Okay, this is what he did. Big purchases which should be enough to vaccinate every adult down the road. He also said states will be getting more in just a few days. I can announce that we will increase overall weekly vaccination distributions of states, tribes and territories from 8.6 million doses to a minimum of 10 million doses. Starting next week, that's an increase of 1.4 million doses per week. I know. The numbers make no sense. They get bigger and bigger. We need context. Let's do it right now. Andy Slavitt. Now on the inside. Used to come from like his his closet. Now he's in front of the White House. Senior advisor for Biden's COVID 
response. Andy, uh, privately, I congratulated you on uh, taking up this service of the country, and I wish you well. Thank you. Glad to be here. What do you now know that you didn't know when you were in your house? Well, now we know, uh, yeah, we all knew that we were having a slow start to the vaccination process. Uh, we didn't know why. And states and governors couldn't quite figure out how they were getting vaccines, when they were getting vaccines, how many they'd been getting. We just heard a lot of numbers thrown out. So we're here on day seven. And what we've done today, as you pointed out, is uh, a couple of things. First of all, we're giving states predictability. Every state will, and territory uh, will now have at least a three-week window to know how many vaccines are coming so they can plan appropriately, send it to states so more of those vaccines will get in people's arms and more people will have their expectations met. And then the second thing we learned is we did not have enough vaccines contracted to, to give everybody who needs a vaccine a vaccine. We've taken care of that today. So it's been a, it's been a good first week. We're still learning as we go along. Supply question. Like three days ago, Pfizer and Moderna said they didn't have any more. It was going to take a long time. What changed in three days to make these vaccines available? How were they able to ramp up production so suddenly? Well, Pfizer announced this morning that they think they're actually going to now be ahead of schedule. Uh, I think they announced that they're going to be able to push forward um, a couple of months. Uh, so we think we're, they're going to actually beat their initial schedule. And look, some of this is just plain old day-to-day -day execution and management working hand-in-hand -hand with these producers. This is a daunting task for everybody, for states, for, for the pharmaceutical companies, for the people distributing the vaccines, and mostly, most of all, for Americans who are uh, patiently and, and, and growing out of patients waiting to get vaccinated. Uh, but getting our hands around this from an end-to-end -end process is our first priority. I wouldn't say we're 100% of the way there yet. We've just been here a week but we've already been able to find some of those opportunities. You're not a little curious about how they were able to change their projection in just a short period like that? Like what happened? Did they add workers? Are they giving a vaccine to America that they had earmarked for some other country? No, I don't think so. I think, I think some of this has been uh, planned for, in the case of Moderna, uh, you know, we've been just working closely with them. They have a planned ramp. Uh, you know, they didn't ramp, as I think many in the public, including me, were led to believe over the course of last year that they were building a lot of supply, that they'd be ready to go with tens and hundreds of millions. That's not the case. They're still ramping up, producing more each week. Uh, I wish it were different, but this is the situation we inherited. So we are working with them and working to help them get every dose possible out to the public as quickly as possible. And then once it gets to states... The states have a job to do. Right. States have to work to get those vaccines out into people's Help arms. Help me understand that. Um, I, I Look, it's good that they need more vaccine, okay? It's bad that you can't give it to them right away, but you've got to play the ball where it lies and just do better than they did before you. I don't understand how the rates don't reflect the urgency for more supply. So the rates are, on average, I think 50, 53 percent of what they have they're putting into people's arms. And there's a range there somewhere in the low 30s to somewhere in the 70s and 80s. Why do they need more if they haven't been able to deliver what they have already? What, what am I missing? Well, the states are doing better. You know, this is a new process for them. And there's a lot of variability. I think our, our view, unlike, I think, the past administration, is we're going to try to provide technical assistance wherever states are struggling. There are best practices out there. Not every state is probably using every best practice. They can learn from each other and get these out there. And then I think the one other point I want to make, Chris, well, two other points. The fir first one is that it's so essential that the Congress pass the American Rescue Plan, which is essentially the money and the resources that states need to get vaccines in people's arms. This is an orchestra. It's not a solo act. And the Congress can't sit on the sidelines. 
And then the final thing I'll say is we also have a very important goal to make sure that the vaccines get into people's arms equitably and that there's equitable access. So that means we're going to send vaccines to churches and mobile clinics and things like that. That may mean it takes a couple days longer to get into people's arms, but it will also mean that people of color, people in rural communities and others will have access to. All right. That's a real problem for you. You know, we have um, vaccine inequality going on, just like we saw with COVID. You and I discussed many times uh, the people who are the most vulnerable were getting the most sick. They still are. They're the largest percentage of essential workers. And now with the vaccine, the same people are getting screwed again. And I'm looking forward to the steps. Um, You know, it's good to message it that way. Let's see what the actions are that make it different. I want to ask you about schools. So now the federal government is saying we looked at the data. It's good. We should be able to go back to schools. The people I talk to who track the data in schools say, how do they know that? The schools aren't really reporting. The federal government hasn't really had any system set up to look at those numbers. There's so much variability around the states. Uh, You get different stories from different communities. How do you know it's safe for everybody to go back? Well, I think you're referring to a statement out from the from the Centers for Disease Control. CDC. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I say that instead of just the federal government is I think we are used to sort of the federal government being this sort of one entity where the White House controls the messaging. The president's been very clear with us and very clear with the country that science is going to dictate what we do. And so the CDC now speaks for itself. And the CDC's findings are uh, based on the study that I think we saw today, that schools actually may be safer uh, than we once thought based on what they've said. So uh, given that and given the president's goal that we should be getting Americans back to school, kids back to school, K, K through eight, K through eight in person and eight through 12 as well, as quickly as possible, that's potentially good news. But we're going to we're going to wait and let the CDC speak for itself here. And I, I don't want the White House to get into the uh, to that habit of contradicting or, or, or commenting on the science as it comes out. We'll let them do it. Yeah, I'm happy for them to do it. I just want to know what their confidence is coming from, because what we want to avoid is every look, I got three kids. Everybody wants their kids back in school. The question has always been how. So if nothing has changed in terms of the resources given schools and their ability to get teachers like should teachers now get vaccinated sooner if we're going to move them back? Is that something that you want to make a federal mandate? What I, what I do want to do is I do want to point back to the Congress again, because the American Rescue Plan has the resources to get schools safer, to get testing into schools to help schools become uh, modern and modernized and updated. If we want our kids back to school, uh, then we need the Congress to act on the American Rescue Plan. Absolutely. But you also got to think about that vaccination part. I'm sure we agree. The teachers have to get vaccinated sooner if you're going to have everybody else back in person, right? No question. All right. Teachers are an enormous high priority. That's one of the many reasons why we're working to get vaccines pumped out into the states and into the doctor's offices as quickly as we can. Right. And just make sure those states, you know, they're going to listen to you if they want the vaccine. They have to take care of the people who are going to be most at risk. They got to deal with minorities where they're being underserviced. And they got to let the teachers get a chance to not bring things back to their families when they're taking care of our own. Andy Slavitt, I wish you Godspeed and good luck. I'm always here for you to make the case to the American people. Thank you, Chris. All right. Look, I mean, you got to go through these things. I want my kid back in school. You want your kid back in school. It's, it's a horror show having them at home. But if nothing changes and we send them back at school, is that the right move? Because these same people, the Democrats, were saying that you didn't have the infrastructure and the supports around the school to have them go back. So provide it. It's on Congress. Great. Let's see what happens and how long it takes. We'll be on it every damn day. At least 150 have been charged in the Trump insurrection. There are a lot more to go. Among them, again, the key part of the case against Trump is what 
do the people who did the worst things say about why they did it? Forget about what it means for them legally. Doesn't matter. I have a Texas man who called for the assassination of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Why? What you're going to hear from his lawyer will be key to the prosecution against Trump. Forget about the guy's legal case. It's not what we're here for. It's the political case against the president. We'll talk to the man's lawyer next. The interesting part of the case against the former president is that it's not really being made by the Democrats. Yeah, they're the prosecutors, but it's going to be made by his own supporters, specifically the ones who decided to attack our capital. The FBI has charged at least 150 people. And when you go through all the charging documents, you keep hearing the same thing. I did it because our democracy was under attack, like Trump told me. He said we had to fight. He had to say, if we don't fight, we're going to lose our country. That's why I have lawyers on for some of them who did specific acts that will draw the attention and shock the conscience. You need to connect the dots. You need to show the case. And that's what we're going to do here, especially when you have someone like the so-called shaman guy, the guy in the horns that fool. You have to see past the stupid outfit. He loved Trump every word. He listened to him. He felt like he was answering the call of our president. If the political charge is, did you make these people believe this was the right thing to do? Exhibit A. When it's someone like the retired firefighter who was known as a good guy, who then threw a fire extinguisher at a cop. Yes, get mad about what he did. Throw the book at him if you want. But why he did it matters for the political trial of Trump. Listen. He's the commander in chief. They're telling him to to fight and to stand up for your country and to do all these things and, and to protect the Constitution and all these things. That brings us to our next exhibit. Garrett Miller. He said some scary stuff, including calling for the assassination of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. His case is instructive because while McCarthy and the other Trumplicans try to make it all about some magic word that Trump did or didn't say, like if he didn't say, I incite you on January 6th, then he's okay. Miller's case proves Trump was laying the groundwork long before the day of the riot. How do we know? Clint Broden, representing Miller. Counselor, welcome to primetime. Ordinarily, uh, this would be a tough conversation if it was whether or not your client should be charged criminally. But this is about the political process and your understanding of his motivation. How does that apply to our understanding of the former president's influence on someone like your client? Well, I think you're exactly right, Chris. I'm an attorney. I'm certainly not a psychologist. But when you have, and I've referred to him as a cult leader, Donald Trump was a cult leader. And you have somebody like Garrett Miller, who was not very politically involved, hadn't even voted much earlier in his life, um, loses his job, gets focused on the Internet. And you have, as I said, a cult leader telling him that he needs to do X, Y and Z to protect his country. And that's what cult leaders do. They prey on vulnerable people. And that's not to excuse what Garrett Miller did. As you said, his his comments are vile, disgusting, what have you. 
Um, but without going into attorney-client privilege, I'm having some discussions with him, and, and really we're trying to deprogram him because that's what cults do, and that's how you get people out of cults. Is he open to the suggestion that he fell for something with Trump, that he is under the sway of something that is irrational? Yes. And I, I, as I said, I think that the more he gets removed from Trump, Trump being out of office now, the more he gets removed from the vitriol that goes on on, on Facebook and Twitter, I think he is going back to the, the Garrett Miller that his family and friends remember. The one who raised money for his wrestling coach's wife's cancer drop. He said on January 3rd he was going to bring, he was driving across the country, he was going there, the dollar might collapse, civil war could start. I'm bringing a grappling hook and rope and a level three vest. Uh, that's a type of uh, protective armor. Helmets, mouth guard, and a bump cap. The last time he came to the CC was for a pro-Trump rally. He had a lot of guns with him. Uh, what did he think he was going to do when he got there? Well, I think he thought and was going to join the camaraderie of the of the Trump crowd. And as I said, be part of a bigger purpose. And that was what Trump was inviting him to. Um, and I think he went along with the crowd and went in. And certainly not to excuse his actions. He didn't have firearms that day. Unlike others, he didn't breach the go past the rotunda. And that, again, that's certainly not to excuse it. Um, but I think, again, it comes back to being part of that cult that was created by Donald Trump. Look, I, I mean, I think the facts are bad. I think he's going to hard time, get a hard time. And I think he deserves it unless you can show that somehow he was suffering from diminished capacity. It's not going to be easy. But in terms of his relevance to the political process, this is most interesting to me. Not just that he did things because he thought Trump wanted him to, which he says again and again and again in a criminal complaint. I also left Washington and started back to Texas immediately after President Trump asked us to go home. He was that directly responsive. Do you believe that if he had heard Trump say, you should try to kill all of them, get them out of here, you think he would have? That, well, I, I don't know that I would go that far. I, luckily, we never got to the point, but, but you make an interesting point because it came out at the detention hearing. As soon as Mr. Miller heard that Trump told people to go home, he said, I needed to verify that. And once I verified that my president told me that, of course, I left the Capitol building. Do you think he would testify in open court yes. or in a political process against Trump? I think it's very important what he has to say. And he's made that point. He made that point in court yesterday. Again, not to help himself, but I think in order to help the nation, um, I think he'd be a very valuable witness at the congressional impeachment hearings and in court uh, if that becomes necessary. And he's indicated his willingness to do so. Clint Broden, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Again, it's not about what's going to happen with this guy. That, that's not my issue of interest right now. The process will take care of it. The political process, his own people could be strung together to make a case that defies any defense I have heard politically. My next guest was a target of a domestic terror plot and accused Trump of trying to incite violence against her months ago, and he never said a damn thing to make it easier on Governor Whitmer of Michigan. Now she's with us, a call to take a stand against extremism and the latest on what she needs to get her state well. Next. 200 million more doses. 
That's what President Biden is vowing to get us to, to vaccinate nearly all Americans by the end of summer or early fall. All Americans, very ambitious, a lot of moving parts. Part of the plan means buying more vaccines and increasing supply, therefore, sent to states. But is that enough? And how will state governors ensure that it gets into your arm? Let's get some perspective from Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Governor Whitmer, thank you very much for joining us on Primetime. Glad to be with you. So you were on the call today uh, with Biden's COVID coordinator, Jeff Zients. He announced a 16 percent increase in allocations for states. Um, What was your level of trust? What did you think about competency? What do you think about that number? Well, I thought it was a great conversation. I mean, obviously, governors all across the country want more. We want more vaccines. What we need the most, though, is predictability and communication and transparency. So this is a welcome change from where we've been. The fact that there is a plan to ramp up gives me great peace. Of course, it's not as fast as we all want, but um, we're feeling better about where we are headed as a nation, that there's a national strategy that's going to help us as states get shots in arms and get people protected. 16% is not enough. Fair point. It's not enough, but you know what? It is welcome uh, information and change and trajectory. And I think that's that's what we're craving the most. It's been so sporadic and so little information. When we found out there wasn't even um, vaccines that were being held back, despite what the representations were from the last administration, this is a welcome tra- change, transparency and a plan to move forward. Were they able to tell you when it will be more than 16? Well, they said we're going to have three weeks where we can be confident what the numbers are. That helps us with our planning. And then they're hoping that it will continue to ramp up. And I believe that it will. I know that the administration announced that they're making purchases of vaccines. That is something that we were asking the last administration to do. And for some reason, they wouldn't do it. It is happening now. And I think that gives all of us great confidence and reason to feel hopeful. So your numbers have been going uh, up on the vaccine. Um, You are now at about 67 percent of doses administered. Two weeks ago, it was 40, 45 percent. What makes the difference in efficiency? Well, we've made incredible strides. I mean, we're working very closely with our local health departments and our hospital systems. Uh, Part of the issue is that in the in the long-term care setting those vaccines are being administered directly by the pharmacies and we don't control those and that's where we've seen the numbers not quite keeping up with what we are doing as a state but i think it's it is communication and the ability to plan and so we will see our numbers continue to improve we're seventh best in the country now we're competitive uh lives are on the line we're going to keep moving so that we can get everyone inoculated as fast as possible but the thing you need most is just the vaccine. You don't need manpower. You don't need logistical help. What, what are the wants? The most important thing we need is the vaccine. Uh, we also know the administration has told us that they will fund the National Guard. That is something that was um, an unknown under the last administration. They funded the Guard in some states, but not all. We are all going to have that benefit, and we're really utilizing our National Guard um, in terms of manpower on the ground. And so I think that's made a big difference here in Michigan, too. Controversial issue. Some governors, like you, say, look, I learned from PPE. Let me go get this vaccine myself. Let me cut my own deals, uh, and that way I can assure my flow. Uh, The Biden administration says no. Do you accept the answer, and why? 
I do. The reason that we were working so hard to try to just purchase vaccines was because we weren't getting information out of the administration. We did not have confidence that they had bought the vaccines for the nation. They were not communicating and they had not done the work. And we saw eventually that they came clean and so that they didn't have second doses that they'd been holding back, despite what the representations were. This administration is a very different situation. They're working with us. They're telling us what to expect. They're doing the planning. Um, I, I have great faith in the national strategy that the Biden administration is, is uh, you know, working. And so I, I don't feel the need to say, let me go buy this, because I believe this administration is doing all the right things. And and I'm grateful for it. Do you reserve the right to sue if they do not give you what you need? I believe that the Biden administration is going to deliver. I know that they are listening to the same experts that we've been listening to here in Michigan. We have some of the best numbers in the country right now in terms of pushing our COVID rates down uh, because we've been following the science. And, and so this administration, I think, is going to show they know how to get this under control, get our economy ba back ramped up, get our kids back in school. And that's what we as a nation need more than anything. Right wing extremism. Is it better now? Uh, that the election is over. What is your level of concern about infiltration of these groups into your officials? Well, I think that this has been a serious issue, and we in Michigan saw it a lot earlier than the rest of the nation did. When uh, it was happening at the nation's capital, those of us in Michigan, those who've been paying attention like you know, this started, uh, the first time we saw this was here in this state, eight months prior. It ended up being you know, culminating in a plot uh, to kidnap and murder me. This is a very real threat. This is domestic terrorism. And uh, we all, every one of us who has a platform needs to take a stand. This is unacceptable. And it is a, a very real threat that continues. It might not be as, um, you know, scary in this moment. We've seen a lot less of it recently. However, it is still there and it is still something that we need to take seriously as a, as a nation. You worry about it in your ranks? about how it's penetrated into different agencies or people who work around or with you? You know, I, we are, are mindful of what the nation's lessons have been in this in the last couple of weeks in particular. Uh, we see that in, you know, the Republican Party in Michigan, there are leaders who were a part of that um, demonstration and insurrection at the United States Capitol. And so this is something that's entrenched in certain parts of our society. And we need to we need to root it out. It's uh, unacceptable and it's dangerous and it undermines the democracy. And that should come uh, before any other allegiance. Governor, thank you very much uh, for your bravery. You're calm in the face of the threats that you have faced. Uh, and thank you for letting us know about the vaccine. You know that you always have this as a platform. Let us know uh, if they're not giving you what they said you should get so that we can pressure those in power to make sure they keep their word. You got it. Thanks, Chris. Be well, Governor. Thank you. You too. So Whitmer says that she has a new level of confidence. It's about what the administration does, but it's also about what our new leader says. For four long years, we had a president who sympathized with white nationalists. He denied systemic racism. That hurts when it is an obvious reality for so many. What did the new president have to say to help heal? This was the chance. You have to listen to what he said. Next.
We now have a chance to speak truth and deal with reality. We are not all equal here. We know that. The president knows this. Invoking George Floyd as he signed four executive actions today aimed at furthering racial equity. Those uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds that took George Floyd's life opened the eyes of millions of Americans and millions of people around all over the world. It was the knee on the neck of justice. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. And the simple truth is, our soul will be troubled as long as systemic racism is allowed to persist. We can't eliminate it. It's not going to be overnight. We need to make equity and justice part of what we do every day. Today, tomorrow, and every day. Contrast with this guy. Some African-American community leaders, and a lot of others actually, have said it's systemic. Where do you stand on that? I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. I think the police do an incredible job. And I think you do have some bad apples. I think you'd agree every once in a while you'll see something. Look at the faces on the people around him. They all knew it was wrong. Biden's executive actions today are aimed at fair housing, recommitting the government to lifting up Native American communities, and combating xenophobia against Asian Americans. It all matters. It's all part of a more perfect union. He's pressing ahead with the most diverse cabinet in U.S. history, equity and inclusion at the forefront in week one from disbanding the 1776 commission and repealing the transgender military ban to ending the Muslim travel ban and strengthening DACA. Steps in the right direction. But this reckoning is going to take all of us. The president, too. He had that role in the 90s crime bill. He had that handling of Anita Hill's testimony. Yes, they were in his past, but they have to be recognized in his president in his present so he can be a better president. He's vowing to build back better. How? We've got a lot of healing to do, a lot of building to do. Aspirations must be a coefficient of perspiration and inspiration that lead to action. We will be right back. I have great wisdom for all of you. It came from my 10, almost 11-year-old, Carolina. I want to bring in the big show CNN Tonight with D. Lemon. It's big star right now. Carolina said to me, <laughs> you are too negative, and you always tell me what you think is wrong. You never ask me what I think is wrong. And I thought... Oh, I love her. I thought, you know what? She's right. First yeah. of all, about me as a lousy parent. You're not a lousy parent. Guilty. But as people... Let other people tell you how they feel and what hurts and just listen. It can't hurt you to listen. Great instruction from that kid. There's another present for her birthday. I owe her 50 bucks. (laughs) that's chump change to that kid that's chump change i told her well that's a good start so (laughs) then what do you we what we both think is wrong uh that video you showed of the president being asked about former president the former president being asked about systemic racism and he's saying no there isn't and everyone looking like what but no one said anything and that's the problem don't you think yeah over there oh oh, oh, didn't hear it didn't hear (laughs) oh look at the time (laughs) Am I wrong? No, you were right, but they were wrong. And you have to speak out. I know it's scary when somebody's powerful. I know you want the job. I know there's a lot of shine on it. It's just not worth it. 
if at the end of the day you wind up becoming part of a stain on our society? It's not just a job, Chris. It's uh, in friendship. It's in the workplace. It's in maybe someone's not your friend. It's in the line at the bank. It's in um, the, the supermarket. It's wherever you are. If someone says something that's racist or sexist or misogynistic or whatever, xenophobic, whatever it is, anti-Semitic, then it's up to all of us to say, hey, stop, don't do that. And not to coddle people and say, well, why would you do that? And I don't understand. No, you know what coddling people and not confronting them, you know what that got us? That got us an authoritarian figure elected as president. You know what else that got us? An insurrection, a racist insurrection on the Capitol. You know what else that got us? It got us uh, lawmakers in Washington trying to make excuses for that because of what? Coddling, because people did not stand up for what's right. And so whether this goes anywhere, and I think it will, this is a lot for the, the new president to put on the table, even if it's just an executive order. Remember, the I think the black president did not even do that. For him to do that, he's got to follow up on it. He's got to make good on it, or that's going to be that's going to look really bad over the course of history and over the course of his presidency. Because he doesn't have ignorance as an excuse, and his right. agenda is supposed to be the opposite yeah. of what we just lived through. Systemic inequality is real. Great, do something about it. Call it out when you see it. Stop. Why'd you do it? And then wait for their answer. See something, say something. And if they don't have an answer. Then you know something, right? Well, look, and when people, you're great at this, by the way, in your personal life. When yeah. somebody doesn't know why they're wrong, you are very good at giving people <laughs> a break and helping them understand why what wrong. it is that they're not paying attention to. Yeah. You don't have to judge. You don't have to hurt. You don't judge. have to stick it in their face. You can do it in a way that will encourage people to want to be better. We can do that. We do it all the time. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want us to do, if, if you will. I'm not telling you how to live, but this is how I'm going to live. I'm tired of saying the conversations about race or any sort of ism that they're hard. There's a tough con- these are not tough conversations. As a matter of fact, these are easy conversations to have, especially with the moment, uh, especially with the four years we've gone through. And then, what, again, what happened just a couple of weeks ago. These are easy conversations to have. The only way that they're hard is if you don't want to have them or you want to make excuses for them. That's how they're hard. But if you're willing to open yourself up and to have the conversation... It ain't hard. True. Yeah. And to the extent that it takes effort, there's yeah. some discomfort. What in life that's worthwhile does that not apply to? I mean, look, every night, every night, my pain, the cross I have to bear is having to talk to you. So I feel I mean, for there's you. There's some discomfort there. <laughs> I feel for you. I do. I, I there, love you. There but for the grace, D. Lemon. There but for the grace. <laughs> I see you later. I love you, D. Lemon. <laughs> you, more than you know. Thank you, brother. I'll see you soon. This is CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.